BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Takecast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by Ed Miller. He has been on the podcast before, the author of The Logic of Sports Betting. He also has a new book out on sports betting, Interception, The Secrets of Modern Sports Betting. A link to order that book is in the description of this podcast. I picked Ed's brain about his new book. Just really enjoy talking to Mr. Miller. I think he is one of the smartest guests we've ever had on the program, and I'm always fascinated about the inner machinations of the modern American sports book. Uh, If you guys like this podcast, I think you'll also really enjoy the book. If you want to support this podcast, you can subscribe to get bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Takecast, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can just tell a friend about the show. Now let's go ahead and get into it. All right, everyone. Very excited to welcome back into the program Ed Miller. He has been on a couple times before to talk about the work that he has been doing in the sports betting space and his prior book, The Logic of Sports Betting. He and his, uh, I I suppose, co-business owner, runner Matthew Davidow, have written a new book that I think everyone who listens to this podcast will get a great kick out of the intercept ed how are you doing today i'm good man i'm good how are you doing i'm doing i'm doing great uh you sent me the book over on monday already went all the way through it i was uh i was left wanting more in the end so i guess let's uh let's start here so the logic of sports betting a great book to understand uh what a sports book actually does how it functions kind of how sports betting actually is more of a a peer-to-peer game than you would think of uh, right. originally. Exactly. You know, I think the idea that a lot of people have is it's, uh, you know, it's me versus all these guys in a smoky room in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, not really right. exactly the way it works. Uh, I, I think my favorite description uh, in the book is that really the entire industry is actually sort of dependent on these uh, these Adderall addicted nerds who, who mash <laughs> a lot of buttons on their computer, which is still yeah. true, right? Because- Oh, definitely. Price discovery for Jags Lions is really still the fundamental key step to all of it is, you know, these guys who who bet the openers more or less. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I it's you know, it was kind of the uh the running joke in the new book uh is that it's Adderall addicted nerds who set the lines. But yeah, I mean it, it it's the the key point I wanted to make is like it's really a small handful of people. You know, they say, oh, the, you know, there's, it's, 
people always say, you know, I read all this, you know, media about sports betting, you know, oh, the sharps are on this and the, the wise guy is this and that. And it's, I, I sometimes have to laugh because it's, it's, you know, I know a fair number of the actual people kind of they're talking about. And it's, I mean, there just aren't that many people seriously doing this. It's still, even for a big sport like NFL, it's, it's, I think, surprisingly niche how many people actually take this stuff seriously, bet it seriously. You know, it's, I mean, it's a lot of work to try to do it and, and, and not lose. It is. I mean, it is literally my job. I go on TV every day. I talk about sports betting. I have accounts at, uh, at the bottom 16 sports books, as you call them in the book. You know, I'm, I'm the guy who, when I go to a new state, I'm signing up at, you know, Podunk Sportsbook X to get the free stuff. And I still would not consider myself anything approximating a professional better. I don't mash openers on a Sunday night. You know, I'm not sitting there uh, getting access to Pinnacle or, or anything like that. But obviously sports betting is so different now than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, really even two or three years ago from when PASPA uh, was first, uh, you know, uh, rolled back in the United States. So let's let's begin here. A topic you really focus on heavily early in the book is just like the insane amount of work it takes to present a huge betting menu to customers in the United right. States of America. So much regulatory work stuff I, you know, I would have never thought about, like making sure that all of the money stuff is lined up appropriately, that your KYC is lined up appropriately, all this stuff. Right. So why, in your estimation, is it worth it to DraftKings, to FanDuel, to BetMGM, to these large companies to have these huge markets, you know, 40,000 bets I could go bet right now on any of these books if right. many of these lines are are just, there's no way to make all of them efficient. Right, yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, the book kind of draws a distinction between the major markets, like you know, Jaguars minus two and a half, right? That's like the main line. And that line gets set by, again, people clicking buttons, you know, people with sharps, wise guys, whatever you want to call it, people who maintain models and who try to bet the stuff for a living. That's that's basically who sets this line. Whereas if you look up, you know, Jaguars minus 18 and a half alternate line, right? That line is not, there's no wise guy setting that line. That line is set by someone's math equation, right? So that's kind of the first distinction kind of we draw in the book is that it, that's an important distinction to make. And why do they want to offer all this stuff? Well, it's because it's how they compete with one another. You know, and, and in, in my opinion, you know, there's room to compete that's uh, outside of that. But but to date, the way sports books have, they call it differentiation. This is the industry term. You know, they say, oh, we're offering a differentiated product. What does that mean? That means we have, you know, Jaguars minus 27 and a half in addition to the Jaguars minus 26, 25. I mean, it, you know, I'm making fun of them a little bit, but it, it's, that's how the menus keep increasing because they say, okay, well, you know, fundamentally you're betting on the same thing. It's, you know, you're betting on the same sporting event. It's, well, how do you differentiate yourself? How do you say a bet with my sports book as opposed to the one across the street? You say, well, you can bet on whether they score four touchdowns at my sports, whereas you can only bet on three at theirs, you know? And so that's that's kind of the process that's that's created these huge menus. It's just this competitive process. Yes. So 
they it and obviously certain people want to have access to all there will always be someone right who wants to bet sure. on on a given market and that is why uh and we're and we're going to talk more about the limiting stuff here um but i think those two things build on each other which is a point that i have always intuitively felt to be true but which it feels like no one no one on gambling twitter wants to admit that single game parlays and that same game parlays actually can be beatable. You know, these are very high hold markets. They are designed. I mean, look, the, the sports books want you to be betting those, right? That 100%. is super high hold. You are realizing your equity. Uh, so, I mean, even, even let's say you even did have a quantifiable edge, which I think, as, and as you get into the book, uh, quantifying that edge would almost be impossible because the book can't even quantify their edge versus you on those. It would right. take you such a long time, such a long time horizon to uh, to realize that equity. But the explanation in the book really made a lot of sense to me, which is that we can blanket terms, say, same game parlay, single game parlays, whatever, are a money pit and a huge money maker for the books because you're trying to find the sub 1% outcomes that are maybe priced like, I don't know, 1.8% outcomes or something like that. But simulations are very hard. Uh, it's it's very right. hard to build them appropriately. And there are a lot of examples in the book about edge cases where the computer might just have these giant error bars effectively. Do So I guess in general, what do you do with the party line that gambling Twitter has that SGPs are, are for fish only, basically? I mean, that's this is wrong in my opinion you know i mean so 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 a single game parlay just to be clear again this is this is what i would call a betting product that uh is created by a, a company that whose job it is to basically price this stuff so so the way it works is like if you go and this is just kind of in a vacuum if i want to the, the the problem with single game parlay is that the outcomes are correlated right so if you want to bet on Okay, the the Chiefs are going to win the game, and Mahomes is going to score over three touchdowns, right? Well, those two outcomes are related, right? If the Chiefs win, it's more likely that Mahomes scores three touchdowns, and vice versa. If Mahomes scores three touchdowns, it's more likely that the Chiefs win. That, so you can't like traditional parlay math. You just take our uncorrelated outcomes. You take say two different games where the outcome of one doesn't have anything to do with the other. And you just multiply the odds together, and that's the odds, right? But whenever the outcomes are correlated, you can't do that math. That math, the, that basic odds math where you just multiply it doesn't work anymore. So then the question is, what? Well, how correlated are they? <laughs> it turns out that's quite a difficult question to answer. And so what the single game parlay products are trying to do is they're trying to answer that question essentially for any combination of options on the entire menu. Right. Like you're you're the customer. You're allowed to go through that menu and pick whatever you want off the menu. And then they're promising to give you a price on that. Right. That's a pretty big promise. Right. Because they behind the scenes, they have to do a pretty hard math problem to come up with those. Options, right. So. Right. right? And uh, they, the, the bottom line is they can mess that math problem up. You know, they, yeah, they put hold on it. So let's say let's say the math problem says, okay, this selection of outcomes is likely to happen 2% of the time, right? Well, they um, let's say they want to give themselves a nice big cushion. So they say, okay, right. we'll give you 
we'll give you odds like it happens 5% of the time. We'll give you a 19 to 1, right? Now, if you take a 19, if you go to a roulette wheel or something, or you, you go to something where it's just hard math, or you go, you know, let's say you pick a deck of cards, and someone says, I'll give you a 20 to 1 if you could tell me what the next card is, and you say king of diamonds, and they put it there like, no, it's the ace of spades, you lose, right? So, like, obviously that's a terrible bet, right? It's a terrible bet. The true odds on that are 1 in 52 or 51 to 1. So, you know, it would be a good bet if someone offered you more than 51 to 1, and it would be a bad bet if someone offered you less. Someone offered you 20 to 1, it's a hilariously bad bet, right? So that's what they're getting at on gambling Twitter when they say these are terrible bets. They're saying, well, they're offering you 20 to 1 on something they think is only going to happen 2% of the time, which is true, right? But the catch there is the they think part. (laughs) They think it's only going to happen 2% of the time, but how the heck do they know? <laughs> they don't is the answer. They're guessing. They have a model. They have some math. They're guessing. And that's really as good as it gets, you know? And if you do a little bit of work, I actually have a couple examples of, and and these are, uh, I mean, I don't know. These could get, uh, I guess, in video game verbiage, they could get patched fairly easily. Right. But there are a couple examples I've found Um where the simulations do a bad job or or more specifically treat all players like they are the same. Right. My favorite sport to bet on is football. It's the one that I feel the most comfortable making sort of uh I guess eye test based assumptions or 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 uh drawing conclusions from the data in a way that I couldn't for NBA or baseball or whatever. Right. Uh I, my my buddies have been calling this the thread the needle parlay. So on your your sports book of choice, you take Tyreek Hill under six and a half receptions, but over on an alternate receiving total. It's called 120 yards or whatever. Uh, on it's FanDuel, very similar to an example in the book, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So on yeah. FanDuel, for example, something about the way FanDuel calculates these, this is not true on DraftKings. You'll get like crazy odds on these. Like you'll get like maybe not with Tyreek, but maybe with someone who's a little bit let, you know, Marvin Mims or something. You'll get like, 400 to one, 300 to one in a way that, well, you can actually see a player with this average depth of target or whatever. It's actually, it does happen more often than once out of every 200 times this game is played or whatever. Another one is uh, correlating this to the way NBA stuff works. And you talk about this in the book where handicapping NBA player props is really just a matter of handicapping minutes. Right. Oftentimes the sports books, and this will work on almost any of them, is they will treat running back statistics in an uncorrelated way or a negatively correlated way. So Christian McCaffrey rushing yards and receiving yards, taking them both over, will treat that negatively correlated because, oh, if he's if he's rushing for these yards, he's not getting them receiving. Um, and then you, if you would cascade that down to someone who's not a superstar, Miles Sanders or something, really it's just a bet on the playing time but the software doesn't treat it that way. That's obviously very inside baseball and, and not even a particular revolution that, to anyone listening to this. fantastic example. And it's, it's interesting that you bring this up because where, where, where did they get that wrong? What is the assumption that their math screws up to allow that to happen? The assumption is that they know how much playing time Christian McCaffrey's yes. going to get or the smaller guy, right? And, and, and whatever their math is doing, it's not correctly applying. And this is this is consistent. You'll see this as a problem. There's an uncertainty, right? There's a distribution, right? And 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 their math is mistakenly treating it like 
like a point, you know, projection, for instance, that would be the easiest way to assume yes. they say, okay, you know, so, so-and-so averages 37 snaps a game. So we're going to give him 37 snaps this game. I'm not saying anyone actually makes it, but this is just descriptive of the type of problem that's going to be in the model. They're going to say, okay, well, we're going to give this guy th- exactly 37 snaps. And then how many, and then what's the distribution of yards he gets based on having exactly 37 snaps. But that's not the right answer. The right answer is not that he has exactly 37 snaps. The, the right answer is that there's a distribution of how many snaps he's going to get too. Right. And that distribution has an uncertainty. And we aren't sure. I mean, there's nobody knows how many snaps anyone's going to get. Sometimes we're really wrong. And this, this is exactly the type of thing. It's almost, it's, it, it's so hard to model this. It is so hard to get that. I mean, think about it from the sports book set. They have to have a, a model for how many snaps everyone in the league is going to get that they want to offer prices on. And then they have to have the distribution of what that, I mean, they have to have a, it has to go like this, and they have to get this shape right. It's just incredibly difficult to try to solve it, this problem. Yeah. It, it is incredibly difficult. And, I mean, there's another, ha- uh, another added element of this, and there's a lot of talk about this in the book as well, that betting SGPs is not an indicator of being a sharp, right? Is that that would not right. be – that would not be uh, taking them – for $3,000 on uh, Hungarian pickleball in a week where it's obvious that right. you have some edge, uh, uh, you know, or whatever. It's like, oh, you know, this guy just got lucky, right? This guy, this guy bet 10 same game parlays. He hit two of them and you know, he won, but this is the type of customer who's going to end up giving us the money back at some point. Right. You, you should also understand that a lot of people that do beat sports books, their angles are really, really obvious. Like they're, they have the, they're like literally they're sitting at a baseball, like every, you know, they go to every whatever baseball game, you know, in their, in their town, they sit in the stands and then they jam it in every time there's a home run. Like it's, you do that twice and it's just obvious what you're doing. Right. And a lot of people who are trying to beat sports betting, that's what they did. You know, they're just, they're just, their angles are so obvious that, that's how they get picked off, right? Where they try to bet things that are locks. Like they try to bet, you know, I, I they try to bet stuff that can't lose, if that makes sense. Or Where they're they they're betting yeah. things. Uh, I had never thought about this before, before reading the book, but it makes so much sense of just like not pissing off the guy whose job it is to, right. to set the market. Uh, obviously a very quick way to get banned is if you're the type of person who sits on Twitter all day starting running back for Sam Houston state is out and you go bet the over on his backup or you bet the under on the team total or something correlated there. Within, and then within you know, seconds. five seconds of the, of the news hitting Twitter, they're going to hate you. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I, I guess, cause again, the way it's portrayed is, you know, it's uh it's, it's Joey Nish versus big, bad sports book. Right. And right. it's, and it's the sports book just wants to keep, the the grinder down they don't want to prevent you they don't want you to to make a dime off them they'll limit you immediately i mean obviously if you win enough over a longer time frame it probably doesn't matter what angle you're taking you will get limited to to some degree I mean, but, but maybe not nuke to pennies right maybe maybe they'll let you make $200 bets or $500 bets but not 
$5,000 bets or $10,000 bets or whatever, kind of depending on the sequencing of the action. Now, my accounts on these sports books, not really something. I, I've been limited on one because uh, because of Shohei Otani MVP futures, actually. I bet enough on it that they were just like, you are, you are not the type of customer we want, which really was just luck. It's not that I had some specific yeah. insight, not but, that I knew. But, but it's interesting that you bring that up that they, because again, we mentioned that in the book too, where the award, the individual player award futures, the books know yeah, I, I brought that up as an example in the book of a market that's just it's just impossible for them to price that. And it's going to be soft. So if you if they feel like you're trying to hit them on that stuff, they're just they're not, gonna you know, they're going to know they're vulnerable because that you're right. I, I mean, you brought yeah. you brought it up as um as a, basically a marketing expense, more or less for them that the next time. Uh, uh, Darren Ravel writes up, you know, uh, 100 to one guy wins the Heisman Trophy or whatever, and they quote your price and on another sports book's price. Good for you. That was free advertising or or right. whatever, um, which does make sense. I mean, I because I look at these futures markets all the time and I'm like, I wouldn't really know how to price this. Like, it just seems it seems insane. It seems well, very it's, difficult. It is. I mean, to it's, do. It's, yeah, it's really hard. They just, you know, they're going like that. I mean, how, how are you going to, how are you going to, you know, assess? You know, the chance, you know, Ellie Dela Cruz wins the Rookie of the Year award in April. I mean, yeah, it's not it, it would be, you know? I mean, it would be, it would be, I, and if you did it just the other way, your best whack at it, that's all, you know, if they, if they were more, uh, uh, appropriately pricing those rookies who are not even in major league baseball, right. then they would get the opposite complaint. They'd be like, Oh, this isn't a bettable market. I can't bet into this market that has Ellie De La Cruz 12 to one to win right. NL rookie of the year before, um, before he has even been called up. Now, a huge focus in the book is the in-game markets. These, these micro markets uh, of which are really, they are their own, animal right because the this whole the 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 adderall addicted nerds have almost no say in what these things are are priced at and i i find that all fascinating because that's effectively just a computer saying this is what the number is now i would imagine again the problem here is these are going to be the worst lines that sports books put out and they're uh you talk a lot about how they have to kind of fuzz around the margins to make them not able to be armed versus their competitors. And I, I, but I, I do wonder if your conclusion is these might be very beatable lines, but it's probably the quickest way to get your account limited is consistently winning on them. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, I, I think for big sports, like if you bet NFL in-game stuff, I mean, they want you to, I mean, if you're in the U S like they want you to bet NFL in-game market. Like, they, and, and this is another point we make is like, what's going to get you limited? Well, literally anything could. I mean, the, so someone has a bad day at the sports book, you piss them off and they hit the new. I mean, theoretically, that could happen to your account at any time, right? I, it, it's, you know, it's all automated. You know, they, they, they've got algorithms that try to try to do this too. But, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you catch someone wrong, they could do whatever they want, you know. But the question is like, if you're betting NFL in-game bets, I mean, that's a huge thing that major American sportsbooks want you to bet. I mean, you know, they they are putting those markets up. They have they understand that those lines are uh, a little bit weak, but 
you know, I think I think to some extent they're a little overconfident also in the, in the quality. And and I'm talking about at this point not that like what people would call micro bets like is the next play gonna. So micro bet in the in the industry jargon is like is the next play gonna be a run or a pass, right? That's a micro bet. Um, and yeah, I would imagine if you sit there all day and bet run or pass and beat you know beat the heck out of it, you know. That'll probably they'll probably tell you to stop betting. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the whole process you know. of the in game thing just feels wild to me, you know. Because but I, I but I think it's fairly safe to bet the point spreads or to bet on like a money line, you know, or or a main total in in game. I mean, I I think that's a actually an excellent spot to to try to to try to beat. And you you don't think that would be a spot that would get you flagged? I mean, think about how many people must be betting NFL money lines on a Sunday, you know, Millions, I mean, especially yeah. on a prime time game, right? Like, I mean, these are wildly popular bets, you know, and, and, and yeah, and, and the, 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 you know, the, there's a fair amount of confidence in those lines. I, again, I think sometimes the confidence is a little uh, misplaced, but, um, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think anyone's going to look at your account and see that you've bet a bunch of, you know, in-game main point spreads, NFL point spreads, NFL money lines, and immediately think, oh, you know, they're, they're playing some angle, you know? Right. Um, Although and, there and, are, there will be yeah. angles to take, which you brought up in. in there the are book tons of you, angles on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if yeah. you, for example, I mean, it could be as simple as like, you're a Detroit Lions fan, you know, the Detroit Lions super well, you know, you can kind of get in the mind of the coach and you know, if he's more likely to kick a field goal down seven or go for two or go for the win or whatever. And those are things that the Sims are, or I guess not even Sims, just in-game models. are Right. Not like, like for. I mean, what I did over the last eight years is I built, you know, models to price in-game for the six major American sports and with a huge emphasis on football. And uh, the thing is, like, there's no – you can't model the coach behavior, right? Like, you can't model – you know, I have – that we have what we call knobs on the model. Like, in other words, a human can say – Oh, I know he's going to go for two here. I know he's going to go for it on fourth down more than usual, or I know he's going to, you know, I know the kicker's injured or whatever. Like, so we had basically knobs that someone watching the game could turn and say, you know, to get the right answer for that game, assuming the human knew what they were looking at, you know, but, um, but that A doesn't mean we're always right. And that B does not mean everyone has that knob. Like, I mean, that was our model. I felt, I mean, I, I think we did an excellent job and I think we had a pretty sophisticated operation for pricing this stuff. But yeah, like the, the example is the team's down 14 and they're driving for a touchdown, right? Now, what you should do, and, and it's the fourth quarter, it's like 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, right? And the team is on their own 30 and they're down 14. And then the question is, if they score a touchdown, are they going to go for two or not? Right. Some coaches, the answer is always no. Some coaches, the answer is always yes. They should. Um, and then some, I'm not sure what they're going to do. It's, you know, whatever they feel like today. And so that, but that affects the answers for all the, uh, for the six and a half and the seven and a half point spread. Right. So what we ended up doing 
was we stopped publishing six and seven and a half point spreads in that spot as 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 our company. That was our solution to that problem was, well, let's just make that problem go away by just not publishing lines for those because, I mean. So what you were publishing nothing or five you and a half it? or eight and a half sure. instead of six or Right. So, so you could bet on whether they would score the touchdown or not, or the, whether they would score twice or not, but you, you, we, we didn't play the game where you were allowed to pick us apart, you know, on, on that particular question about whether they were going for two or not, because it's, you know, when I think about it on a Sunday morning, there's eight games, you know, this could come up, you've got, you know, a team full of traders, you know, trading a game, you know, or, or on a college football. I mean, you've got people who, maybe you just hired them, you know, maybe they've only been working, you know, I mean, and now all of a sudden they're in charge of knowing, oh, wait, I got to think about what this coach for Alcorn State has got, I mean, you know, I mean, that's not a thing, right? So, so yeah, we, we solved it kind of in software by kind of not trying to figure out all those situations and, and avoiding even offering the best for, but the, the other thing is we bring up, you know, a, a other people may not have made the same decision we did. So they might offer those lines in situations where we thought it wasn't a good idea to offer them. Um, they also uh, might want to offer cash out, right? They might want to say you might have a six or six and a half or seven and a half bet that you made pregame, right? And now all of a sudden that situation has come up in the game. It's a relevant line and, you know, they want to offer you a cash out. Well, that's their if they're offering you a cash out on the bet, then they're offering a price on the, on the bet, you know, full stop. And the, the cash out segment, uh, I would encourage people to, to read the book and read the cash out. Cause it definitely sort of changed my thinking about using that button. I don't, I don't know if I'm honestly, I don't know if I'm intelligent enough to, uh, to, to, to sort of explain it in it, it's, the it's right very way. Theoretical. I, I want to be clear that the cash out section is, is like most of the time it's suspended a lot. I mean, if you go to the cash out, section you'll see it's grayed out a lot with the lock and they say you can't do it right now well why it's because it's hard it's hard to price that stuff you know yes. from the yeah. from the book's end i i definitely and, have seen yeah. it grayed out more often yeah. than i've seen uh the ability to just click the button so right another thing that we that we hit on in the book is that uh there these books are you know in constant competition for each other offer more more products higher limits more more sports more more player props. You know, we need a player prop for the sixth Broncos wide receiver. We need all this, you know, we need all this stuff. Um, one, do you think all of that competition long-term rise in five, 10 years, because it's so hard, because so much has to go right to get all these bets to fire and to pay everyone out appropriately. Is it, is it setting up for a monopoly or, or a duopoly in American sports betting? And then the other question I have off of that is, you know, why do the again, as you call them in the book, the bottom sixteen, the non, the non top four sports books? What what is the angle for them to continue to write bets? Okay, so so I'll answer the the second part first. So so in the book we say like the 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 sports book market share follows the you know the eighty twenty principle, right? So let's say you're in a state that has 20 sports books operating. You know, there's some states like this, you know, Colorado has a lot of them. Um, you know, there's a few states that it, mostly the states have a lot of them because of the, the regulations, the way the regulations are worded. They, it's cheap. Basically they offer a lot and it's cheap. So, um, so the question is though, like if you, if you're in a state that's 
you know, got a lot of options like Colorado or there's some other ones. Um, you know, let's say there's 20 sportsbook op operating in your state. Well, the vast majority of the market share in the bets are going to go to the top four of those 20. Um, and the rest of them really don't get a lot of action, you know. Um, and a lot of the action they do get is, is people like you signing up at every sportsbook and trying to get the, the bonus money out of it, right? You know, so, and they're very aware of that. They understand that, you know, if you're running a, you know, the 15th out of 20 sportsbook in a market, you know, A, you don't see that many bets on a daily basis. And B, every time you get a sign up, you know that there's a decent chance that person is just there to get your bonus money. <laughs> um, so the question is, why are they doing business? Well, the, the answer is the future, right? They have some future plans that, they, that they're building towards, right? They either A, have some plan where they think they can gain market share. Um, some marketing plan or some other reason. B, sometimes they they have technology. The, 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 the industry has, there's these little technology, uh, the technology is worth a lot in this industry. Like if you sure. own a particular piece of software that, you know, we call it like the betting platform that basically just keeps track of what bets are offered, settles the bet. So like, you know, like if you created a new piece of software that's a new option you know to fulfill that role in a sportsbook stack um that piece of software would potentially be worth a lot of money well what do you have to do you have to put it into use you know if you want to sell that piece of software to other people you got to put it into use where you're going to put it into use yeah, gotta, you're gonna gotta demonstrate it works you're gonna yeah you're gonna launch it right so 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 a lot of times those the answer to those some so the answer is Sometimes it's people who are overly optimistic about what they think they could do with their brand, their existing brand, their ability to market, whatever. Sometimes it's people who have, you know, what they think is new technology that they think is worth and they want to showcase the technology or they want to, you know, test it out. Um, it could be in some of the other states, uh, the, the, the actual market access is worth something, right? So one example if there's 30 brands the market access probably isn't worth that much but there's some of these states that have limited they they, they only allow five or six sports books right so period right so your question is well why is the number six sport book six out of six still operating the answer is because that just the ability to operate is worth a lot there and so you know they might flip that to another company at a later date, right? So, and meanwhile, they're just kind of going through the motions and, you know, you know, obviously they're going to try to improve their their standing and get more traffic, but, but you know, why do they continue? Well, it's because they, there's substantial value in just continuing to operate, if that makes sense. So that's a lot. So, so that answer, that that's kind of the answer is that there's lots of various reasons why those companies operate, uh, very few of which are, that they plan to win a lot of your money from betting. <laughs> that's that's kind of the key point is they're not expecting to win a lot of money from the actual bets. Well, I mean that that dynamic existed in daily fantasy for a long time as well, you know. Right. Uh, and then they all just ended up getting bought by they, the two the two big companies, which I guess I mean I, I I suppose I think there was maybe this thought that like Fox and and these places were like, oh well, you know, we'll do we'll do a great job uh, converting these people. You know, these yep. we'll we'll just we'll we'll put advertisements for our sports book on TV, and everyone will see it, and they'll become our customers. And 
which yeah, I guess there's, there's I kind of believe. For that, there's, there's, there's a company called Skybet in the UK. Right. It's very similar. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a TV network, you know, Sky. And uh, yeah, they were like, let's brand a sports book. And, and it was very successful by all accounts. And, and I think kind of the, the thinking there for every every time you see a sports book that has a, a network's name on it, you know, I'm not going to sit here name, naming TV networks, but, you know, you know them if you live in the U.S. And if you see a sports book that says TV network bet, I can tell you that in the pitch deck for that project was Skybet, you know, and they're like, Skybet, enormous success. Here's how we can replicate it is basically the, the business piece. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. The last thing that I want to talk to you about is the forced parlay apps. Uh, so we got, uh, we got underdog, we got prize picks there, there, and there are more of them popping up. Um, so it's a very simplified version of what people are doing at you know, DraftKings and FanDuel and BetMGM and all these, which is betting player props. They, it's obviously a little bit, you know, it's, I guess it's hard for me to say if it's more a nerdy version of sports betting or if it's actually easier, you know, because it's, it, it is very, Oh, I just click these five. And if I get them right, I win 20 X my right. money. Good, good deal. Now uh, they are facing some legal challenges right now because right. the large sports books in the United States don't want to compete against this product, which I guess I wouldn't really want to either. My experience is that, yeah, it is just very easy, right? And and it takes that gut impulse that you talk about in the book of like recreational bettors, they like to bet for things to happen. Your bet right. to be one in the first quarter, right? It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's super human, very easy to understand. Uh, you click three overs, same game. Yeah, it's perfect, right? Oh, I'm smarter than the guys who set these lines. They would never think I would bet Mahomes and Kelsey overs on the same ticket, right? right? Uh, I, I guess my question would be, one, just kind of what are your general thoughts on the Force Parlays app? Do you think this is something that the larger sports books might adopt? Uh, are these more or less? Be just sort of what's your what's your general vibe on the Force Parlay apps? I mean, I think uh, I think it's a product that that, that I, like you said, I think there's this. Yeah, I mean, the, the product I have in my head, just so we're clear on, is is there's matchups, right? It's like this player, or this player, and it's like a a parlay, right? So you're so they so this. they they have that, they have that, and they also have just straight up. You can be like, you have to do at least two up to five, and it's like right. Patrick Mahomes is passing yard prop that they copied over. Say right. you know the, the Adderall oh, smashing right. nerds, they copy right, it over. Right. You take that, you take a couple more player props, but they're all player props, right? It's all, it's, it's not who's going to win game X or Y. I, I think right. for legal reasons now, obviously, eventually, I think they'll probably change that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I so I don't want to talk about any of the legal aspects. Of, I'm definitely not sure, a lawyer. Sure, I don't, sure. I don't yeah, care. Yeah. I hate anything to do with the legal stuff. I just, you know, think about it as a game, you know, um, yeah, I think it's the type of game that people like. I mean, anything that's quick and that gives you a rooting interest, I think is, you know, I, I, I think I think all of those things have potential. You know, simple, gives you rooting interest, players you've heard of, especially if it's players you've heard of or have some interest in, um, and and it gives you a payout. Yeah, I think I think that type of product is is the type of product people like, you know. Um as far as uh, you know, typically the way the products work is they, again, like the same game parlay, they offer you very, very short odds on what they would offer you if the legs were independent, right? So 
you know, like if you, it, it'll pay, you know, 20 to one, let's say on something that, uh, it, you know, it's like, uh, one out of 32. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. and there's, there's all this math that goes into it. I mean, like, because the, again, the base assumption that these picks are making is on a probability, you know, right. that I, it's like what the, it's like the base probability is like minus 136 for the two legs or whatever, right. you know. So they, they, right. So they've, they've tried to basically, I mean, I, so my very first intro to the sports industry was somebody who approached me with one of these products. This is, this is how I got into the sports uh, eight years ago now. Uh, someone, someone had an idea for one of the, exactly this product and, Honestly, wanted to run it by me as like uh, a game, right? And that was kind of how I got into this. And um, yeah, and, and and their approach was, hey, we have no idea how correlated any of this stuff is. That's hard. Why don't we just, you know, price it at, you know, 20 to 1 on a 1 out of 32 shot and hope that's good enough. <laughs> it was basically the thinking. And they had it like there there, there was like a, a player A versus player B type of uh, option, which was which meant somebody had to basically go go in every day and set those matchups, right? Right. They had to say, okay, this this player has about the same projection as this player. Let's put them together, right? But but then they're, they they could screw up two ways, right? They could screw up by either having too many correlated people on on one ticket or just getting the matchups wrong, right? Like you could get the matchups wrong, like. Just because your project, I mean, your projections don't have to be right. If you played fantasy, anything, you know, your projections definitely don't have to be right. So you know, and then That's obviously true. there's an uncertainty, and projections are usually viewed as a point projection when, in fact, they're a distribution of outcomes. They represent a, you know, and sometimes we have a top ten percent, bottom ten percent to kind of, you know, flesh out that distribution a little bit. But even then, we're just guessing, really. So, um, I, short answer is I think that stuff's probably beatable. Uh, obviously, if they cut the payouts enough, not <laughs> you know they're gonna pay you two to one on a one out of thirty-two shot. I obviously no one's beating that. Um, I don't know. I haven't tried to beat that stuff. You know, I my sense is it's beatable, but you know, kind of for small potatoes, and you know that's that's kind of what I understand to be the case for that. Yeah, stuff. I mean the the house limit preset for anything is a thousand dollars, so yeah. it's like even if you get. 5x your money you know my, you're winning. my understanding is that the is the actual state of that product is that it's beatable but probably you know i mean if you're serious about gambling probably not worth your time but you know uh, the, the one thing i would say is that yeah. they don't go as nuts on the limiting like you're not yeah. going to log on to the app and and you know i mean everyone shares these screenshots Thing like yeah. oh i can only bet seven cents on an nfl side on right. whatever website that that won't happen um, the the favorite my favorite line in the entire book the the greatest point you made which is just that you know the mathematical assumptions that a sports book is making it's very important to realize you know this is these are not absolute certainties of the laws of physics where we are betting on humans who we don't know we're betting on a game that's weird that has weird bet like so yep. the models always of course are making the assumption that these are mathematical certainties and none of these things are are mathematical certainties so i just i because obviously and i'm sure you literally hear this all the time oh vegas knows brother oh this game this game they covered at the last second to cover by half a point vegas knows why would you bet on that vegas knows it was a reverse trap 
invade the public on the reverse (laughs) trap. It's obvious Vegas knows, you know, and it's just, that is yeah. that I thought that is going to be my new go to line. I mean, it's 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 funny because I mean, I mean, if if you're of the Vegas nose crowd, right? Just to be clear on who I am, you know, I I I co-founded a company that makes in-play lines for U.S. sports. So, like, like for the six major American sports, you know, college and pro football, basketball, baseball, hockey. Like, I'm the guy. <laughs> I wrote the prices all this stuff and offers you lines and i'm telling you like i'm proud of the code i wrote i think i did a good job you know but i mean i definitely don't know <laughs> i definitely have no idea who's gonna win or what's gonna happen in a game and and you know and beyond that it's it's you know there's only so much you can pre-program right like i i try to create you know models that can that can that are flexible so that when weird stuff happens I have a knob for that. <laughs> oh, the kicker got injured. You can flip the, oh, the kicker got injured knob. But like, you know, I mean, when the quarterback's injured, I mean, it's just anyone's best guess, you know? I mean, when, you know, someone's rolling around, is it a high ankle sprain? I don't know. Maybe. Is he coming back? Is he going to come back the next drive? Is he going to come back in the fourth quarter? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. You know, I'm not a doctor. And, and obviously that he has a huge impact on the line. You know, if, if, you know, the moment that injury happens to that quarterback, you know, your guess is as good as mine on what the line should be, honestly, you know, right. And, yeah. And yeah. I have the, you know, I have the aid of having a model that can say, okay, well, if he's out until the fourth quarter, then, and his backup, we have rated at whatever. And okay, do some math using those assumptions and give me a line. But that's all, I mean, that's the best we could do. You know, and and if you know better, if you're if you are a doctor or if you just understand the backup better than we do or, you know, whatever, then, I mean, there's no reason you can't out outdo us on that. Yeah, there we go. All right. So it turns out it turns out uh, from a man who has worked in Vegas himself, Vegas doesn't know. That's uh, that's (laughs) that's that's, 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 they got they got a good guess. Their guess is probably better than yours. They don't know. They never know. Um, yeah. All right, Ed, thank you very much for the time. Tell people about the book. Uh, I always ask people who are on promoting a book, what, where's the best place that they could buy it to make you to, to return the greatest proportion of the money to you? And uh, if there's anything else you got going on that you want to promote. Sure. Yeah. So the book's called Interception. Uh, the Secrets of Modern Sports Betting is the subtitle. Uh, it's by Ed Miller, it's me and uh, Matthew Davidow. Uh, it is uh going to be available on Amazon. I just sell my books. So I don't bother. I used to do the whole thing with, oh, let me try to sneak out. It's whatever. I'll let them. <laughs> Amazon sure. one. They own everything. So yeah. So just uh, on Amazon, the, the the book's out on October 17th is the release date. So it's uh, six days from today that we're recording. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, if you just search the title and the name, you'll find it. All right. There we go. Uh, guys, It is. it is a great read. It is a quick read. I promise you, if you are a listener to this podcast, you will enjoy it. Make sure that you check it out. I will link the pre-order in the description of this podcast, and I will be back next week. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 